Common Ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's just about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening, and thank you so much for joining us here at another edition of Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be providing you more information, more things to think about, and we are so pleased that you have chosen to spend your Saturday evening on Our Common Ground, serious talk that matters. We've been here for 31 years broadcasting, with the exception of, I would say about uh, over 31 years, about nine months off the air. You know, I got fired once from one radio station. <laughs> they just ran me off off their radio. <laughs> It was reported in the in the Sun Sentinel and the Miami Herald and the Palm Beach Post how I got run out of the radio station because I insisted that we be serious about our talk and our in and our entertainment. I was really thinking about the radio station the other night. 
um, I had an opportunity very early on. I can't even remember the name of the – I can't remember the name of the group that Beyonce and whoever, they were young entertainers, a singing group, and early in my radio career, you know, there was this system that they had in urban radio, rhythm and blues, um, black people's community radio, where entertainers came through and I got an opportunity. Uh, I have no idea how old she was, but she probably wasn't but, but about 20 years old or maybe even 18 or 19, to interview Beyonce and her group, whatever the name of that group was, LL Cool J. Um, and uh, another um, young rapper at the time, um, that I can't remember her name, but she's a big rapper now. She has made her way and her legacy in rap and hip-hop, and I'll think about it later on in this broadcast. But we thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, we are going to be in conversation seriously with uh, the power blogger, writer, editor, and thought leader, Yvette Carnell editor of BreakingBrown.com and Your Black World. She writes mostly about politics, social and cultural issues, um, as well as Breaking Brown TV and BreakingBrown.me. Before embarking on a career as a writer, she served as a congressional aide, first to Senator Barbara Boxer, Democrat of California, and later to former Congressman Marion Berry, Democrat of Arkansas, and her role as a legislative staffer. She prepared briefs, staffed congressional hearings, represented members with uh, their constituents, and performed a lot of other duties that those kind of staff people spend 7:24 in her time on the Hill. She also worked as regional field director for America's Families United, which is one of the largest nonprofit get out the vote campaigns, and she was active with that campaign um with that group uh during the 2004 election cycle. At America's Family United, she played an integral role in establishing the framework and assessment criteria for distributing over $20 million to America's Families United grant recipient organizations. In the broader Democratic Party, she served as assistant to the director of the Women's Vote Center at the Democratic National Committee, and her articles have been featured in the Huffington Post, Your Black World. She's been quoted by national news outlets, including The Nation, The Guardian, Politico, and NPR. She received a BA degree in political science from Howard University. And we encourage you to subscribe to BreakingBrown.com, which is a social media hub aggregating the freshest and most insightful content from brown bloggers, podcasters, and videocasters on the Internet. Your subscription helps keep independent black news reporting alive, well, 
and on point. It's at breakingbrown.com. And she is going to be joining us in this program. We're going to be talking about a number of things, but among them, some of the some of her recent commentary about the uh, Byron Allen suit against other black media um, entities. We're going to be talking about the Obama administration and its support or non-support of HBCUs. We're going to be talking about Ferguson, the shooting of two police officers in that city this week, and the Ferguson Department of Justice Police Department um, <clears throat> report, and the response by America and by this administration in regard to that. But as we come into this broadcast, as we did last week, we announced that Tony Robinson Jr., and who was unarmed during a confrontation with a white police officer in Madison, Wisconsin, and his death. Tonight, we report that hundreds of people gathered on Saturday for the funeral of this young 19-year-old man killed by this police officer in Wisconsin's capital last Saturday, a shooting which has prompted protest over law enforcement's treatment of minorities yet again. We also come into this broadcast reporting that world leaders around the globe are condemning the acts by the 47 traitors who sent letters to Iran and a petition that is soaring in regard to that. That and more in this broadcast. We hope that you will stay with us. We hope that you will tweet and share our Facebook event uh, from our Facebook page about this broadcast. It's not too late for people to get seats. Seats are still available. And you might want to write this down. 347-838-9852 is our number if you'd like to join in the discussion or if you are listening on one device and would prefer to listen on another device, you are invited to do so. But during the course of the broadcast, please go to our Facebook page, like us, follow us. Uh, we are at Janice OCG on Twitter. Thank you for being with us, and we're going to get started. This is Yvette Carnell from Breaking Brown in Your Black World. And if you have been following the news this week, if you have been following Breaking Brown this week, or if you have been following anyone else in black media this week, hopefully you are already aware of the shitstorm that is surrounding uh, uh, our boy Reverend Al Sharp Tonight at Our Common Ground In conversation With the editor of BreakingBrown.com and Your Black World Our wordsmith and Black thought leader Yvette Cornell Thank you for being with us Stay tuned In his hour what we're talking about. And we live now in revolutionary times, but the counter-revolution is winning. The counter-revolution is winning. The greedy oligarchs and plutocrats are winning. One out of four corporations don't pay taxes. 
been gobbling up billions of dollars, and yet not just 21% of our children living in poverty of all colors, each one precious, 42% of America's children live in poverty or near poverty. That is sick, it's a moral obscenity, it's a national disgrace, and yet we have a political class, no matter what color they are, that won't say a mumbling word about that poverty. Why? Because it sits outside of the give and throw between a right-wing, mean-spirited Republican Party run by the oligarchs and the plutocrats and a spineless Democratic Party that's got ties to the oligarchs and plutocrats and the poor people get left out. They get invisible, disposable. And yet we see the same brothers in the 1950s and 60s who were coming out of socially neglected and economically abandoned spaces called the ghetto by Donnie Hathaway. By Donnie Hathaway, when he said ghetto, that wasn't disgraced, that wasn't demeaning. If you from the ghetto, the way he talked about it, you straightened your back up. You got your mind together. You had love in your heart for your brother and sister on the block. And it started on the chocolate side of town, but it spilled over to the vanilla side and the red side and the yellow side and the brown side, too. The unity that we had in Attico among the black and brown. And I saw some white brothers, too. listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham. And I'm still asking the question, what's the end game? You know, I, I wake up, I go to bed, and I'm thinking, what is there that can be done? And I'm always reaching out to as much as I can read to see through the bullshit to get to the truth, to get to the solution. Because here at Our Common Ground every Saturday night, we're trying to transform truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Yvette Cornell, thank you so very much, Breaking Brown Queen, for being with us tonight. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Girl, I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you, you too. Were, Nobody does like you. I was I was sick as a dog in February, and I couldn't broadcast. I couldn't talk. I couldn't find air. I was I was I was really uh, uh, kneeling, leaning in on the pillow, saying, "I can't breathe." <laughs> oh no! Well, I'm, oh I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Sick. You sound like you're feeling better. Oh yeah, but. Uh, I you I wore out your YouTube channel, and for those of you who are listening, please join BreakingBrown.com on YouTube. 
because Yvette leans into the camera and the microphone. It's good <laughs> to have you back. It really is good to have you back because, you know, <clears throat> I'm getting tired. This is my 32nd year broadcasting. I'm talking about the same stuff I was talking about in 1982. <laughs> and, you know, and, and at some point the sister got to say, God damn. I've been struggling. I really have been struggling to try to find people. It's time for me to hang up my microphone. And I have been struggling to find people, you know, to, to, to leave something in the wake. And it's really hard because we're splintered all over the place. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about your piece that that you did uh, talking about black media. So tonight I want to talk with you about black media. I want to talk to you about this Byron Allen suit and the conclusions that it brings about uh, the characters that are in media as you say, you always say black faces and white places. <laughs> you know, people say to me, why why don't you just go on to restaurant radio? And, and I, I can't do that anymore. I mean, yeah. I have gotten booted out of, of two radio stations simply because I said to him, them, if I can't do our common ground the way our common ground ought to be done, then I'm not doing our common ground. But I do have to admit, I did do a show on a radio station here in Boston called Positively Boston. Well, it was it was uh, <laughs> a disaster from the very <laughs> beginning because I just simply cannot start on the positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get a chance to, to interview Tom Menino, um uh, which is a good thing in our library. But I want to play for my audience before we begin to talk about the things that you have so succinctly uh, summarized for us about this black media thing. Let me let me listen up. I know you know what you, you know. What, you what said. occurs to me when I look at mainstream media pick up on these reports, when I look at the way their their Bill Maher said this weekend about setting the narrative in terms of setting the narrative that this kid deserves to die because he was a thug. It didn't matter that he had his hands up. The only thing that matters to mainstream media and people who set the narrative and, and lay the groundwork for why this guy, for why this young teen should have been slaughtered in the street, the reason they can do that is because we don't really have black media. We don't really have independent black media. Even when you look at the media that's out there, what's happening is most of the media that's out there right now is either white-owned or is or is black faces in white spaces or black faces in black spaces, but they're not anchored in the cultural tradition of what it means to be African-American. These people are not independent because, as I said in another segment, it's very difficult to be independent so long as you are chasing that white dollar. If you're if you're like we are right now, you look at Breaking Brown right now, we are chasing that white dollar because we make our money with Google ads. And that's a problem because what that means is that we're limited by what Google wants to do. We're limited by advertisements. We are pushing products on you. And 
it, it occurs to me that there's no way to have independent black media unless you are funded by your readers, unless you are funded by black people. The only way that a black media organization can be free is if we are not beholden to 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 to, to white people, to white viewers, to white to white thinkers, to to people who would punish us for stepping out of line, to people who would punish us for saying the wrong thing or or being too pro-black. You know, so if if you really want to see a resurgence of black media, and I say resurgence because years and years ago, even 100, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, we had black media spaces that were holding people accountable and were being paid for uh, by black people who bought those papers. Now we're in a different era. So things have to change, but they won't change without you. And I'm, I build black media and create a space where you can know, okay, this is coming from black people who are truly unbought and unbossed, as opposed to people who say they are, but receive their checks from white companies. So that's my piece for now. Um, I hope you'll join me in trying to build this and, and doing something new. And I think, you know, in, in so far as media goes, this is an exciting turn in terms of what I want to do and what I want to build with you. So, Yvette, I, I don't know if you understand how powerful that is. I mean, what you, what you are what you have raised is an issue of whether or not we value ourselves. Yeah. You know, my question is: Do Black Lives Matter, and to whom do Black Black Lives Matter? How do we begin to restructure? in our community, our thinking about our obligation and responsibility to information, <clears throat> analysis, and reporting that is uniquely geared to us from our experience and through our lenses. How do we begin to do that? Well, that's, that's actually something that I've been struggling with in terms of how to how to convince people that this is absolutely necessary. Because, you know, what what you have to convince people of, first of all, is that the frame matters. You know, when you hear a news story on NBC or CNN, the first thing they're going to do for you is frame that news story. So you can frame it however you like. You can frame it as this, as, as, as this thug, Trayvon Martin, who was giving George Zimmerman problems, or you can frame it in a different way, or you can just dig for the facts. But... In terms of where do we go and what do we do, I have to convince people, and that's that's the problem that I'm having, is convincing people that the frame matters, and the frame matters so much that you need to pay for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that's the only way it happens. That's the only way it happens. People say, well, you know, you can put ads on your site. Well, yeah, there are ads on my site now. But what if Google decides, you know, we're going to pull the plug? And that's happened to us before in terms of blog networks, where they just pull, Google will pull your ads and not tell you anything. So you're still mm-hmm. beholden, you know, even even those of us who have independent websites, we're still beholden to, to these power players, to these power brokers who Google doesn't have anything, doesn't have the same interest that I have. Google doesn't care about what happens to the black community. So why would they care if they, if, if they get pressure, if they get pressure from somebody to pull something because somebody says something I said was, you know, anti-white or, 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 or anti-Semitic, which it never is, but it's easy to frame something that way, even though that's not what it is. Because I, I, mm-hmm. I love all people. That's not the issue. That's never been the issue. So, but it's easy to frame that and then take the ads away and then take all the money away. And then what are you left with then? Well, you've got to eat. 
You know what I mean? Or your vet, your vet reporters, your vet pays reporters to go here, there, to and fro. How is she going to pay them? You can't pay them with air. So that's 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 kind of where we are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I I saw an article this week about Ebony Magazine. Desiree Rogers, who got booted out of the White House, um, is now the managing editor of Ebony. Well, Ebony didn't go to press this month because she's gaggling with advertisers about rates. Mm. And I think in in magazines and print media, uh, people will pay for uh, people will pay exactly for content. And Ebony has, in the last eight or nine months, just fallen apart. I don't know what's going on over there other than Desiree Rogers. But in the sense that when I started off in radio. Um, it was a good thing that I didn't know what I was doing. So I did something different. You know, like I was one of the first talk people to ever use music in the context of a talk show. Mm. Me and, you know, um, I, I just felt like it kept me, it kept my motor over a three-hour period going. But... um <clears throat> There was a newspaper, a black newspaper, each one of the major cities where my show broadcasts. And every week, they ran front page or inside stories about something that happened on my radio show. Mm. We don't have that anymore. No. Um, and, you know, and, and then... Like, for you as a writer, the only place where you really are going to make any money is if Huffington Post pays you to do live or to write for them. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I put out an ad uh, about four months ago that said, if you have a small, if you are a black small business and you have a business and you're doing business on the Internet, I will run your ad for free. If you have a blog, if you have a small newsletter or website, and you have good content for black people, I will run an ad on my radio show for you for free. People aren't paying attention to me because guess what? I'm not going to end up on MSNBC, and neither are you. (laughs) No. No. I'm just sending out the memo. (laughs) <laughs> no, I got that one already. No, <laughs> you got you got that one. Got that one. <laughs> so, so I, I'm just wondering if we are so distracted by all this other stuff, or if we just simply, as a people, want to keep our lives safe. Because I never ran into this problem before. When I had community, when I had community radio, I, I couldn't get to all the calls. But people who, you know, I, everybody who listens to this broadcast knows that I have an abiding love for Dr. Wilmer Leon. Mm. But black people are paying to hear black radio. 
when, in fact, the best black radio is on the Internet for free? I'm not getting yeah. it. Explain it to me, Yvette. Well, I think people and, and, and they're not quoting you. See, that's no. the thing. They're not using your reporting. I try as best as I can on any news item that I'm going to be talking about to make sure it's a black voice that's giving me the analysis and the reporting. So, and, and, I, and I think we've lost sight of that, that that's important, that who you get the news from is just as important as the news that you're getting. Like, how did we lose that? Don't you think that that's important if you get the news from Janice or Yvette? Isn't that important for you? Yeah, but you know, you you go to you go to all of these we- websites and they're they're quoting Rachel Maddow and I have a great deal of respect for Rachel Maddow. I think she is a very smart woman. Mm-hmm. Um but I try to go to April Ryan if she's reporting on something that I'm looking at or you know, on the American radio broadcast uh and and pick it up there. I try to uh, try to quote you. I, I check to see if you've written anything about something that I'm talking about. I, I, I just, I'm wondering if we ought to interject into this discussion about Black Lives Matter, whether black media matters. And that's not to minimize the larger Black Lives Matter campaign. But, I, I mean, I, I'm just I, I'm just at a quandary about how we get people to value what we do. I do mine for free. I even pay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the I cop mean, is at know. the door, folks. <laughs> But honestly, honestly, let me just say, one of the things that, 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 that pained me, um, just really, really pained me over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I was reading this book, 1919, The Year of Racial Violence, um, and then I read, and then I read of, um, which led me to read a, a lot of uh, Ida B. Wells stuff as well. And if you read a lot of stuff from that period, the number of black papers that are writing about these lynchings that are trying to do independent reporting on these lynchings is amazing. And these people, <laughs> these, these black reporters are deconstructing, you know, what is happening on the ground. Like they're being called, you know, when, when, when they call black men bestial rapists who were just going after white women, they deconstructed the whole thing and, and mostly says, told you why that couldn't be true, revealed that half the time these, these, these white women were getting letters and sending little missives to black men. They were going back and forth. These people were dating. You, there was a value, and people were, people were trying to find these papers. You know, people were trying mm-hmm, to find mm-hmm. these black newspapers. People were, that's what they went for their information because they knew that the mainstream news couldn't be trusted. I don't know how now we still say. Now, we'll say, a black person will tell you, yeah, well, I know not to trust mainstream news, but what are you doing to, to replace it in terms of where you mm-hmm. get your news? If you don't mm-hmm. trust it, what are you doing to put something else in that place? How are you helping? You know, you can't just say you don't trust it. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to just expect that everybody else, that every that, that all black media outlets that are independently run are going to kind of figure out how to find money wherever they can, however they can? Because if that happens, then you're dealing with Google and you're dealing with page clicks and, 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 and you're trolling for dollars. 
which basically means you're yes. going to put up something as quick as you can, as easy as you can. You're not going to care about what's not as good because all you want to is get to that story faster than the other person. You're not doing good investigative reporting. You're not even doing investigative reporting. You're not sending anybody to the scene. You're just trying to put something out quick. Well, if you want something that's good, if you want something that somebody can spend some time on, you have to subscribe. Just like people buy the New Yorker or subscribe to the New Yorker, you have to subscribe to independent mm-hmm. black media and pay a little bit. A lot of people pay a very little bit to make that happen. You know, you can't complain to me. I said somebody a while ago, you can't complain to me about how awful Don Lemon is when he's reporting from Ferguson when you don't play black media to put anybody in Ferguson. That You deserve Don Lemon then. Exactly. I had a conference to discuss with a number of people about where I was headed with this with this show. Um, and one of the things people were saying, well, I mean, people were calling me, can you come to Ferguson? Oh, hell no, I can't come to Ferguson. I, I, I have another gig <laughs> to, to, to pay the bills. This pays my rent on the universe, but the other one has to pay Comcast. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think that people do need to think that through. That if you, you know, for instance, I've been looking, I've been scrubbing down the Internet in the last couple of days since the shooting of the police officers in Ferguson to find out if anybody's looking at the counter-narrative about is this something that is an, an, uh, an encouragement, an initiation into anarchy. Mm. And black people and protesters have nothing to do with it. Mm. And I haven't been able to find anything. I said a couple of things about it, and I didn't get much of a response. But if we had really good newspapers, as you say, somebody would be talking about that. Because somebody we would know, be talking about that. Yeah, we know that that is a real big possibility of what, what is happening here. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if it wasn't a white supremacy group or if it were a bunch of rogue law enforcement people out of Missouri. So uh, I think people really need to think about that. But the other is that what you and I do is to prepare people of how to think about the events, to do the framework of how to look at what other information you need to look at a specific event. One of them is history. The other is the political science, the political analysis, the cultural analysis. And MSNBC and the New York Times and the Daily Coast and all those other people, they can't do that. No, they can't and they won't. Yeah, that, um, but I think they can't. It, it, it's like the way I talk about race um, is very different from the way in which my white colleagues talk about it, and we're all uh, looking. We're all civil rights people. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, I'm I'm really concerned, and I want this audience to know that it's as simple. 
for instance, if you decided you wanted to take breaking brown and get grant money to do special projects, for instance, to look at um and nobody is really writing about who are the mothers and how they be their lives before and after their sons have been murdered by rogue police. Nobody's mm-hmm. writing about that. Well, nobody's, nobody's writing, writing about the, the, the tragedy that's left in the wake of these slayings. Nobody's, exactly. nobody's, nobody. Because that's an investigative story, and that story takes money, and that story takes research, and that story takes time. So nobody's Absolutely. writing that, and it's, the work is not getting done. And nobody's talking about the children who had to stand there for four hours and watch while a dead body lay in the street. Who is taught children witnesses? You know, I, I just, I, I think that there are many people who haven't, because I grew up in Jim Crow, I had the, the experience of knowing, I mean, on Wednesdays, my dad was definitely on his way down to the black drugstore to get his Pittsburgh courier. Mm-hmm. That was Wednesday. <laughs> and then getting his fried uh Monday getting the Amsterdam news in the mail. So I think that somehow we've got, you know, you've done a really good good job in your piece in talking about that. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with BreakingBrown.com, if you go to uh, BreakingBrown.com's um, YouTube channel, you can hear the entire uh, broadcast about this issue of the black media. There are three parts of it talking about the black media, uh, media and something I want to move into, Yvette, talking about the race leaders. You did uh-huh. a fine job of raising that issue. Let's 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 listen to Yvette Carnell as she talks about the race leader. You know this whole. brings into account the necessity of having a race leader. Because once you have a race leader in place, that person can sell you out. That's just the nature of having a person who is supposed to speak for the black race. And and that's what comes down in this lawsuit. That's That's what you get from this Byron Allen lawsuit. This dude says basically that Comcast pays people, pays businesses that work on his network like $11 billion. White Corporations, $11 billion that that do business with Comcast and distribute through Comcast on their platform. Only $3 million goes to, black, to black-owned media. $3 million. Now, this is happening while Al Sharpton is there. This is a travesty. This is only a portion of what, this is only a small fraction of what is paid. But what is Al Sharpton doing about it? And you have to ask yourself, why isn't Al Sharpton doing anything about it? You know, if this were if this were another company that he wasn't getting paid by, you know Al Sharpton would be on the street screaming like he was crazy. But because he's getting the hookup for a little, as Byron Allen says, a little chicken dinner payout, he's good. He's fine because he's getting the hookup. This has never been about black people. This has never been about the welfare of black people. 
where 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 Al Sharpton is concerned, this is about Al Sharpton. This is about Al Sharpton being able to live out in in wherever he lives with the Trader Joe's in the basement in Manhattan or wherever, and go smoke cigars with people who work on Wall Street. This is what this is about. It's never been about you, and that's why he hasn't taken a stand against Comcast for for basically blocking out black-owned media. And this is very important to me and people like me because I own a black media platform. I work for a black media platform. So I have to ask myself, what are people like Sharpton, you know, what are they really doing? And what does it really say about this mantra of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? If uh, if Byron Allen, a black guy who's worth two to $300 million, has to sue Comcast to get a seat at the table, this guy's worth millions and he still can't get a seat at the table without filing a lawsuit. So I think in terms of the breakdown, we have to question four things, really. We have to question having racial spokespeople in the first place. What are, what's, the nece- what's the necessity of that? There's no white racial spokesperson. Why do we need one? I think you have to also question, even if you're going to have a racial spokesperson, or even, you, even if you're going to pick someone to speak for your community, you have to get someone who knows how to play the political game. You can't get someone who has no resume, who came up as a pseudo-activist in New York, as a sort of street preacher without a church. That doesn't that doesn't bespeak a serious community. You're not a serious person. We're not a we're not a serious people. If those are the people we choose to do our bidding, and I, I think it does call into contact what I just into what I just said in terms of the do for self. In terms of you know this guy, he's worth all this money. He's just you know he's a hero to entrepreneurs, I'm sure. But look at him now. He's he's just saying you know white people won't let me in. So all of these things come into account when we're thinking about um, Al Sharpton and 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 why it's necessary to not only um, let him go, to not only say hey Al Sharpton, you know as far as I'm concerned he never should have had a time, but your time is up. And it's time for you to walk away. Um, and when we when we get rid of Al Sharpton, the question then becomes, you know, when we get rid of these race explainers who are going to go by the wayside because they were really only there to prop up Obama. You know, these networks really didn't want them. When we get rid of these people, the question is, what happens next? What does happen next, Yvette? <laughs> oh, I tell you what I love to happen next. I tell you what I love. I wish what I wish what was next was black media and black thinkers who actually think for themselves without having a little puppeteer in their back. I I I want that to be what happens next. Like if anything comes out of this Barack Obama experience, if anything comes out of this, I I would want us to learn from the mistake we made in terms of investing in symbolism and investing in people that had no expertise in the in the field that they were talking about. You know, you 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 we have we have black economists, we have black people who do all sorts of things. Why do we send mm-hmm. Al Sharpton to the White House to talk to to talk about economics with 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 with, with the president's people? Why do we do that to ourselves? How how are we serious? How can we consider ourselves to be serious individuals and we don't send our best people to do our bidding? That makes no sense to me. Just one thing I want to say about Al Sharpton which is which is just a tragedy a travesty for me is the fact that he had to take an MSNBC job. You know, when you look at Al Sharpton, Al Sharpton had a platform of his own. He had a following of his own before MSNBC. He could have started his own platform. He could have done his own thing. But he's a guy who just wants, he just wants, you know, the, the white people to give him a check. And that's not who I want at the helm of anything for me. I don't want him running this ship. Well, it seems as though 
we've got a first problem. That's how I summarize it. Black people seem to be stuck in glamorizing and idolizing the first. We've we've done that for, I mean, this is nothing new. But he was the first black to be on a national platform to talk about black issues. Now, what black issues he chose to talk about, that's a whole nother conversation. And I think it is the same thing with this president that we have a problem because we're concentrating on the first African-American president rather than concentrating the initiatives that are coming out of the White House and the policies which are coming out of the White House, how they're being implemented at the cabinet and staff level. And I think that's where people are. I mean, there are a lot of people who really like Al Sharpton. Mm-hmm. I mean, Al Sharpton, prior to coming onto the Internet, prior to his own radio show, was a frequent guest in the 80s and 90s on this show, mm-hmm. uh, just keeping us tuned. I mean, people forget that mm-hmm. there was a time where there were no cell phones and everything. I mean, I used to do a three-hour show with people on long distance for three hours. Uh, and that cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem that we it doesn't seem that we have really taken the opportunities and the advantage of the technologies available to us. But going back to I I think that you know, we talked about it last week here at our common ground with Dr. James uh Lance Taylor that this has been a tremendous blow having this African American in the in the White House uh for 6 years. It's been a tremendous blow to whatever policy initiative to whatever black people needed from their government. It has turned well, it, into a true clusterfuck. <laughs> That's the well, best we should, we should, we should just admit one thing, and I, I I was talking to a friend about this not long ago, and we have to just admit one thing. Even if even if I didn't necessarily see it coming, I I didn't start talking about how bad this was until late 2009, early 2010. But this really was a master stroke. This really was whoever came up with this con game and whoever set this thing in motion. You have to you have to be very upset, but you have to tip your hat because. They really understood how invested we were in symbolism and how all of what we believed or what we said we believed in would fall by the wayside in our effort to protect the first black president. And they they had us they had us down. So when I look at it, when I look at the ways in which Barack Obama gets away with things that George W. Bush would never get away with in terms of his posture towards the African American community, I, I just I'm just stunned because I really thought that this would wear off. I thought, okay, 2000, 2009, 2010, black people are feeling a certain way. We've never had this before, but this will wear off. 
But what they do to make sure that it doesn't wear off, the only thing they do is they say, hey, they send some right-winger out to say something about a tar baby or, you know, you know, compare, you know, somebody, Barack Obama to a, to, to Curious George the monkey. And then black people forget all about their policy initiatives, and they run back around to rally Obama against the white races, not understanding that you can do two things at one time. You can say, hey, racists are wrong, racists are bad, but we still got to worry about this policy thing. This is what's most important to black people. We haven't been able to do that. We haven't been able to do two things at one time. We're much more concerned about what's symbolic, and somebody can take a symbolic action or a symbolic insult and throw that in front of us, and we will run to it like wolves to fresh meat. Absolutely. Um, I, I, just, I, I look back and I look at where we are today at this moment where police brutality, the mil- militarization of police, uh, we have a secretary of education who has admitted that education for black children is clearly unequal, but came up with no solution about what that means because I've been a proponent and an advocate of unequal funding. If the education is unequal, the funding ought to be unequal, and it ought to go to the people who suffer from the educational process. Uh, Yvette, I'm going to take a break, and and then people are trying to get to you. (laughs) I've got hands up all over the place. (laughs) But I I do, before we go to break, I do want you to say a few things about what what is the meaning of this Byron Allen suit for those who are unfamiliar with, with what is happening there. Okay. Well, the first thing, uh, I think a lot of people will remember Byron Allen probably from, he used to do a little comedy, used to have a little kind of kind of corny uh, talk show at night, And but the guy's been behind closed doors making a good living for himself, like going doing these little cookie-cutter judge shows and stuff like that, making really big money, you know. So he has now, he wants a platform. He wants to distribute through Comcast. Comcast cut a deal that excludes diversity among, you know, there, there are hardly any black-owned media companies um, that, are, that, are on that, conform, that are on Comcast platform and get distributed by Comcast. And what Byron Allen has said is even some of those people who call themselves black-owned media people, uh, like Diddy and Magic Johnson, that they're just fronts for white investors and white hedge firms and people like that. So what's mm-hmm. really happening with this lawsuit, what we're really seeing through this lawsuit is, is a black entrepreneur saying, hey, why isn't this avenue open for me? And he's saying that the reason it's not open is because they gave Al Sharpton a little bit of money to bless the deal so that black people would look the other way when other black people were shut out. Mm-hmm. That's the and there will be people who will who will counter the argument and and say, I mean, I've had people say to me, well, at least Al Sharpton is doing something. Uh, and and my my question is, at whose expense? We're still seeing modern day lynching. We're still we're still seeing the absence of equal employment opportunity for black folks. We're, we're seeing economic, no safety economic uh, net for safety net for economic safety net for black people. We're seeing 
slashes and cuts in fundamental and critical government programs for poor people. I have and what never, we worry I have, about is what the people said about Barack Obama. I have never, in in the in the, in the I'm in my late thirties. I'll be forty soon. I have never, ever, ever in my life seen more black people marching in the street, angry and upset, as I have during the Obama administration. I didn't see that during the Bush administration. I didn't see that during the Clinton administration. I didn't see that during during the Bush the first. I did not see that. I have seen more black people, whether it's Trayvon Martin, whether it's whether it's whether it's Eric Garner. All of the things, whether it's school closings in Chicago, I have seen more black people be disenfranchised and and finally get up in arms and irate about it than I have seen under under the first black president than any other president. That should tell you something about the tangible things that Barack Obama and Al Sharpton are doing. They're not doing anything. This is about tangible things. This isn't about bringing attention. Bringing attention doesn't put food in bellies. Bringing attention doesn't 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 stop police brutality. This isn't about Al Sharpton bringing attention to an issue. We're talking about legislation. We're talking about real change. If he's not doing that, what is he doing? Mhm, mhm. And and you know, and the, and and the thing that I worry about, and I'm I'm 65 years old. The thing that I worry about is. How does that set the table for the next 50 years? We've got to start thinking about the end game of these uh, of, of these eight years. What is going to happen next? Because we're not going forward. We're going backwards. And if you can't see that, I think you need to spend some time in our archives. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Yvette Carnell of BreakingBrown.com and Your Black World. We're going to take a break. Stay with us while we're on break. Take some time. Go subscribe to BreakingBrown.com and hit the like button on Our Common Ground because I'm measuring uh, that as to how much more we're going to go. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. 773, when we come back, we'll take your call. Drilling down. Just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of Pushback Talk Radio. The Alpha Show, only at Truthless Network. Fridays. Look around you. One in four kids in the U.S. faces hunger. It's not always easy to see the signs, but in this land of plenty, there are kids that don't know where they will get their next meal. Join Share Our Strength in Food Network and take the pledge to end childhood hunger here in America by 2015. Learn how at nokidhungry.org. Their next meal could come from you. And we want to remind you that on Monday nights here at 
at TruthWorks Network. You can catch the podcast of Double Negro, the Chauncey DeVega Show here at our at TruthWorks Network. It's blogtalkradio.com backslash TruthWorks. We hope that you will join Chauncey DeVego, a new edition, new episodes every Monday night. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. If it's real raw right now, talk media, come on baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Hi, my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio. Every Tuesday night at 9 p.m., the I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show, baby. Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Broadcasting great and black. Georgia's bill is far worse 
and evil than we ever expected. It's happening in the era of Obama. Another response. We got we to know who we are in this country and to, to the extent that there is no intent of democracy. No, you're right. right? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm here now. And the thing is, we do, and that's the thing in terms of you said we have to know who we are. That's what you just said. We have to know who we are. But the thing is, we don't know who we are. The only thing that we are right now is Obama supporters. That's all that we are. We don't know what we believe anymore. We don't know what our principles are. We don't know what we stand for. We just know that if you come for Obama, we're going to come for you. And so, you know, I tell people I'm ready for Obama to go away because I think that, you know, much a lot of my people have lost their minds, and I think maybe once Obama's gone, we'll be able to get our minds back right a little bit. we got to get over this. we got to get out of this. Because that's why we used to have principles. We used to be the first ones to be suspicious of government and suspicious of, of invasions and suspicious, suspicious of, you know, the, the, the power that the United States wielded around the world. We were always very suspicious of that. And I remember when Obama said he wanted to take us into Syria, they did a poll and blacks were among the most supportive. And I say to myself, since when? Since when mm-hmm. have we been hawks? Since when have we been warmongers? That's not our tradition. That's not a part of the African American tradition in this community. So you look at where he has, where we've gone. You know, just because we want to support Obama, we haven't gone in places. You know, where our principles take us, we've just gone to places because that's where Obama is. And mm-hmm. you, you have to get outside of that if you're going to be serious. If you want to be taken seriously, I don't take people seriously who come to me with that stuff, and I don't expect anybody else to. So I, it, mm-hmm. it's no, it's no mistake to me that we're kind of, you know, we're kind of chuckled at because look at look at how we behave. Look at how a lot of us mm-hmm. are behaving in response to Obama. I mean, when you talked about historically black colleges, you know, people miss the fact that. There was a story that was a, that was a good story, and I amplified. And it first came out of HBCU Digest about oh, the the Obama the Department of Education giving 171 million dollars to colleges. Now forget this; they were giving money to colleges, you know, to study low income and minority students. And you would think black colleges would be a shoe in for that. Low income minority were disproportionately low income, 100 percent, just about you know 97 percent, all of them minority. But overwhelming majority of that went to white universities. I think three million uh, uh, went to Florida State, and then like a, like a, another small school, I think PVAMU, received like 250000 So the overwhelming majority of something that's, 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 that's specifically directed to, to minority students, the Obama administration gave to white schools. And so much of that money that goes to schools comes from federal dollars and, and these sorts of grants. And even under this black president, we're not getting any. But if you go to mm-hmm. people and say, why isn't black? Why isn't Obama giving this money to study minority students to black schools? Like, oh, here you go. Obama's not the president of just black people. We, it, it's not even an argument that you can take seriously. But that's what we're doing. Mhm, mhm. You know, the, the thing is that any smart politician, and, and and that's another thing people throw back at you. Well, he's a politician. Well, yeah, he's a politician, but a smart politician uh, would have, just as he had an agenda for the um, lesbian, gay, 
community, transgendered community, that he would have an agenda, a platform that was well established well into his second year in office about where we were headed and looking at really serious problems faced by black people. But now it's kind of like too late, and he's under this cover and and quilt of all of these racist bombardments that he can't get from under. And we're buried by him, and he's buried by the white supremacy system just coming down. And, and we're all just, we're all confused. I, I just... I think that people need to understand that he is the president, and to a certain extent, the president has never been someone who can control the government. Look, he can't even control the, uh, the, the Secret Service. <laughs> and they're, they're right up there in the White House. I mean... These are people, the, the Homeland Security, um, the Secret Service, the Department of Education, HUD, the, the whole nine yards, that for some reason, I mean, Yvette, if you were on my staff and you worked for me and you decided you know more about how the system works and you can work the system better than me, you'll do that. And that's exactly what's happening. And he decided that he would try to compromise, not just with the GOP, but with his own cabinet. Yeah. We're going to take from behind. Exactly. 773, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. You're talking with Yvette Cornell at Our Common Ground. Good evening, Johnson. Good evening to your guests. It's Just Alpha of the Alpha Show. Hell, event. Uh, take a drink. <laughs> I know. I know. I won't be able to get half of what I want to get in because I've been listening for about thirty-five minutes. Uh, on my yeah, because as some as some show. talk show hosts say, "This is my show." <laughs> okay. Okay. Turn it down. Well, let me address. Let me start from the beginning to address some of the from what I've heard and. You two ladies are absolutely correct. You are absolutely right, 100% right. But I'm going to give you some food for thought here. Let's start with the suit by Byron Allen and the implications of uh, Al Sharpton. I'm sure you both remember Martin Luther King. You remember Malcolm X. You remember many of the civil rights leaders who were assassinated, murdered before their time. They all died paupers. They all were poor when they were murdered and died. People like Al Sharpton, people like Jesse Jackson, you can't deny what they have contributed when they were relevant, when they were considered leaders. And at some point, these men have the light bulb went off in their head. And they said to themselves, well, wait a minute. Why am I not going to get any of this money? And the greed gene kicked in. So I can still 
advocate for my people? Why won't I get paid? Why don't I get Remember SMBC want to throw me a show? Let me try to bone up on uh, my English, my pronunciation. Let me try to bone up on... Uh, and that hasn't really Holland. worked, Alpha. Not, not Holland and people. Thanks to you for doing it. You know, let me say it like this. You have people who are so willing to grab a hold to a narrative that a white supremacist-controlled media hands you. Al Sharpton is no more at fault for what's going on. He's accepted this money because he's passed that place. He's, he's, he's what? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. He's passed he's what? Passed that, he's passed that phase of doing this for nothing. He's passed that phase of let me not come away with anything from this. You when you get a Barack Obama in the White House, I'm going to give you one phrase, one name. And if you know the history, you will understand. That's Jackie Robinson. He's the first black man in baseball. And what did Jackie Robinson have to do? He had to keep his mouth shut and take it. This black president, who's half white, raised by whites, He's not a Chicago black man, as they want to put upon him. He doesn't understand that you fight when you are attacked. And he doesn't fight when he's attacked. That's his downfall. This, this, entire, this entire narrative of black voices and black media is about 20 years too late. Because what we have done... We've allowed this to be uh, co-opted. The media itself has been bought up, shrunken down to the six corporations, and everybody else has been put out on the outside, left on the outside. So, therefore, the voices, the first directive, the first aim of war is to shut off communication. They have seized control of communications, and we can't do a thing about it. When you talk about the advocacy of Al Sharpton and anyone else, you have to understand they've already grasped control of the policy. And they did that on his inauguration night. And nobody responded. Nobody turned into the fight. So, therefore, we are left out in the cold. Well, like you I know, said, it's, know it's interesting that... It's interesting that you brought it up, Yvette, and one of the things, uh, the reason I say history is so important is essentially the co-opting of black voice on the national level um, happened as Alpha describes it. But the real co-opting of black voice and black organizing in this country and the stream of black consciousness in the engagement of black people on radio happened long before this, and it happened with a woman named Hughes. Oh, no, no. Now, you know I, you know I was going to go there. I knew you were going to go there, just like I knew you were going to say the word clusterfuck when you said it. 
I mouthed it as you said it because and we, I knew we, that's we what you own were that. Say. We have no community. We have no com. You know, I, I look at Boston, and it was black people who really define the idea of community TV and fought very hard with the networks and the cable companies here in Boston to provide uh, black commentary, black discussion on, on TV. But once the white progressives in this community figured out, oh, yeah, we want to do that, and they took it over, you, you find no black voices on community TV anymore. And and when we lost our community radio stations because Kathy Hughes decided that she needed more money to build her house in Miami Beach and got into debt with the devil, and the devil took it over. Said, oh, you owe us $150,000, uh, $10 million, and you got to pay up in 30 days. And she had spent the money, and that was the end of what we know as community radio across this country because the stations just disappeared. Yvette, what, what's, your, what's your response to all of this? Well, I think I think that the first thing I, I have a friend, and we talk about this, and you've probably seen this in some of my discussions, but you're not going to you you you're not going to go anywhere or get anything for any people anywhere if your whole desire is critter com- you know having these critter comforts, you know if, if your whole thing is materialism and having a house on the beach and having yourself a nice car and you want to hobnob with Wall Street types, then I mean just go be a business person. Don't play with us. Because you really can't serve two masters, that's impossible. You can't do that. So so if the dollar is your master, go and do your business thing. Go and do that, have fun, edit God, bless you, be safe. But don't come in here playing this game. You know, there are enough people who would like to do this and would be willing to risk their life to do this than for you to come in here and play this con game. So that's my that's I mean, that's my first assessment of it all. You have to be real with yourself. And if you are willing to go through this thing and kind of sacrifice, then you should you should stay out of the game. Well, didn't, didn't Al Sharpton and Justin Jackson sacrifice in the very beginning? Weren't, weren't, they, weren't they sacrificing all along, all the way until the point where they look behind them and say, well, ain't too many more people following us. So um, our people seem to have been distracted be it religion, be it television, be it sports, be it the uh, the idolatry of some of us have reached the middle class through government jobs, and we seem to want to pull the ladder up behind us instead of bringing the people in behind us. All of this is a byproduct of a, like you say, you give them uh, high marks for the insidiousness of this plan. And this is a plan that has been carried out over 30, 40 years. And right now we're right in the middle of it. All, all, the all, there's one word that I can say about where we are, and it's checkmate. Oh, yes. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Bravo. Yep. And my trip to Cuba is looking real good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Cuba. Don't don't go to Cuba, Jennifer. 
I'm gonna spend the whole month of August in Cuba. Um, they're gonna mistake you for they're gonna mistake you for a father Shakur. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Alpha, thank you for your call. Thank um you. you made them uh you always bring us to the point where we do have to agree. It's checkmate, Yvette. It's checkmate. I I'm not disagreeing with brother. I I mean I disagree. Listen, I think I I don't I don't really whether however you feel about Jesse Jackson. I don't compare Jesse to, to Reverend Al Sharpton because at least Jesse has an authentic connection to the civil rights movement. Uh, uh, you know, so but the thing about the thing about Al Sharpton is that you know, but didn't Al Sharpton sacrifice? I don't think Al Sharpton ever sacrificed. I don't. I don't think. I think Al Sharpton did the only thing he could do. I think he planned the hustle and he moved through that hustle. He navigated that hustle throughout of it throughout his life. And it's, it's a, I mean, it's an amazing thing for you to be able to go throughout life and live like this and, 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 and hustle like this without ever really, you know, knowing anything about anything. That is a great hustle if you can find it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Closer, closer to being a preacher. You know, Creflo Dollar mm-hmm. is playing. Like, you, that's the second best hustle. That's the best hustle you I can mean, find. So, when you think about who he doesn't cycle through both his radio show and the TV show, um, I I I I think about Sandy Darity all the time. If you're going to talk about economics and poor people and black people, if you're not talking about Derek Hamilton, and if you're not talking about Sandy, if you're not talking to Sandy Darity, then you're whistling pretty much Dixie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in, in my mind, if you are if you are talking about the cultural basis of which in which events occur and you're talking to the same people who are saying the same thing day in and day out then you're really not widening your breadth of information and insight and and it's it's very very sad and i'm still saying that we're going to be black people are going to be suffering from this over the next 50 years because we have not now you know i i i have um uh in our chat room there's a comment that says that we go vote for people like Barack Obama and then we don't show up anymore well my sense is that we black people voted for Barack Obama because he demonstrated, he showed some integrity about understanding of our community when he campaigned the first time around and people trusted that and we haven't moved away from that event we're still trusting on something we're still trusting on the chant of yes i can and yes i will or whatever it was yeah and when you talk about specifically your commentary about HBCUs, you're absolutely right in the sense that we I can't imagine why as a community we are not furious and outraged about the way in which we are losing the best of what we struggled for. 
Well, in the, in the, and the opposite is actually happening. And the opposite is actually happening. What is happening is, and this has been my experience, instead of fighting for HBCUs, I've seen black people turn against HBCUs. Black people say, well, they just need to get their stuff together. You know, that's their problem. I didn't go to HBCU. Well, just because you didn't go to one didn't mean you, you didn't benefit from them. HBCUs graduate this course in more... More, more, more black people in STEM, more black judges, more black lawyers, more black teachers than, than, than white institutions by a high margin. So just because you didn't go there doesn't mean you didn't benefit from HBCUs. But even more than that, and this is what I, and I said this in the video too, I think, but HBCUs, I don't understand how you have a black community without black institutions. And you would never see another group of people advocating tearing down their own institutions we run HBCUs. In America, these HBCUs are one of the only things that we do run. They have black presidents. They have black board of trustees. We determine how to teach our kids. And you black people are telling me that we don't need HBCUs, all because Obama has decided that he doesn't, that he wants to kind of dismantle them during his term. And I tell black people again, listen, it, this was, people have to understand, this was a unilateral decision, this plus loan decision. Where, where he decided to go back more years, you know, in terms of looking at credit history, he went back years that spanned the greatest depression, one of the greatest depression in the history of this country. He did that unilaterally. His Department of Education did that unilaterally with no pressure from Republicans, which cost HBCUs a lot of money. And then he tried to push it. He tried to tamp down and push it back a little bit right before, right before the last elections. So, you know, if you, if you want to talk to me about something, talk to me about why black people are on the bandwagon with destroying their own institutions, all because of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and over the last six years, you have a, a, there has been no discussion about how the federal uh, banking system supports um, banking and, 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 and other kinds of financial institutions in our community, which, which are community-based, you you have no discussion about the Community Reinvestment Act. It's like that doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't have an aggressive uh, government which does oversight and enforces those in, uh, those laws and regulations regarding payday lending. Uh, credit, the Federal Credit Reporting uh, Reporting Act, uh, predatory lending, and black people are just suffering as a result because there is no specific oversight about how they are as a as a as a community suffering from this lack of government intervention on those issues. None. Exactly. And I tell you another thing that's coming up, Yvette, and it's coming up big and heavy, is this new program where the government, and this was something that started with the George W. Bush administration, and it has to do with the privatization of public housing. There is a new program called RAD at HUD, which is going to allow private developers to acquire large public housing development that
that are now funded by tax dollars. And we all know what that means uh, in terms of we're going. And that's, an, that's another, those, those are other steps back, backward because private landlords are not going to have the same kind of oversight and enforcement uh, about decent quality housing as HUD has had in terms of their inspection and oversight of those properties. Another way in which poor people <coughs> are being attacked. So <coughs> I think that people need to say, you know, well, we're not just bashing this president. It, it, it's not about bashing the president. We we bash George W. Bush uh, in general, but we need to begin to look at what our expectations are from our government in specific. And I don't know if it's too late. Alpha says it's checkmate. You agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I say it's checkmate, but I guess we can start from the ground and and go up because we are really going to be when he when when Barack Obama leaves office we are going to be starting at 1967. I don't know I don't know we'll be starting that far ahead. I, 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 and this is something that I that I tell people I said listen Barack Obama didn't give us anything Barack Obama became actually be, began deconstructing began dismantling, you know, from HBCUs to public schools in Chicago to you can you can name the gamut. You can you can go international in terms of the charter wars, everything. Yes, it's all this neoliberal agenda. What you just mentioned in terms of the privatization, there's this huge neoliberal agenda at play with Barack Obama. So what happens, pray tell, when the next when the next white president comes in? And we come begging hat in hand and saying, this is wrong what you're doing in terms of private prisons, in terms of private public housing projects. He's going to look at you and say, you didn't say anything that was wrong with it when Barack Obama was president, so why are you here now? So that that's, that's the reset button. That took mm-hmm. away the fact that we couldn't stand by our principles while Barack Obama was president has taken away all of our moral high ground. Our moral high ground is gone thanks to our reaction to Barack Obama, and we will have to live with that for decades to come. You're absolutely right. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Yvette Carnell. She is the editor of BreakingBrown.com and Your Black World. You can join in in this discussion. Our number is 347-838-9852. I'm Janice Graham, and I only host this boat. Uh, (laughs) Yvette, one of the things that you and I have not talked about it. It's been, it's been a while. God, you know, time really flies. You, the last time you were here was 19, I mean, 2013. I looked at that and said, Is that, can I be right? But this whole issue of what has happened uh, in regard to the issues that have been raised in regard to the event, the the slaughter of Michael Brown, uh, the protests, the upsurge of the Black Lives Matter campaign. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of noise uh, as I as we came into the into the broadcast tonight, reporting on the funeral of a 19 year old in Madison, Wisconsin. 
I tried to find the story that I read yesterday about another unarmed black man being shot um, by a police officer. We had Tamir Rice and the and the police chief of of um, Cleveland indicating that a 12 year old was responsible for his own, his own death. murder. Uh, um, give us some of your take on what all this means and how we can come from under it. My God, it it just sometimes I just don't even want to turn the computer on. I, I don't think I don't think most of us do, but I think I think that you have a normalization here. And where we're headed now, and people don't even realize it because they, you know, they believe in the Democratic Party, they believe in Barack Obama. But where we're headed is sort of a libertarian era. And and America's kind of, what you see coming down the pike is that America's kind of decided that it's done with black people. There, we, we're gutting affirmative action. The Voting Rights Act is, is you know, you gut it, you gut it Section 5. So what we have is, is, is the United States basically saying black lives don't matter. You know, you had your window from the Civil Rights Act until now, and it's over. That is over. We do not care whether it's law enforcement, whether it's your right to vote, whether it's these, whether it's the Wall Street that that basically ran a scam on you with these houses and and and, and, and targeted you for subprime mortgages that cost you your home. We don't care. Like these people are not going to go to jail. You will always be the pawn, and the, you will not have the protection of of, the, of law enforcement. You will not have the protection of government. You will not have any of these these rights and protections that are afforded to other communities. They do not apply to you. Go back down to the bottom of the totem pole. So yes, in this in this kind of construct, in this construct, black lives don't matter. He shouldn't have moved. He shouldn't have had a play gun. He shouldn't have been wearing a hoodie. You know, all of these things come into play. He shouldn't have argued with the man about the loose cigarettes. That was a, that was a death warrant. All of these things say the same thing. This is the lesson that you're being taught. You get back into your place, which is we were brought here as servants, and that's really that's really what we were supposed to be. We were never supposed to decide to become entrepreneurs. Think about how many race riots were triggered because black people were, were doing well. That sort of jealousy, that sort of thing has always come down the pike for us. There was a case where four black businessmen, they were all brothers, were lynched in the in the in, in nineteen nineteen. So this is this is what we have. You have that you have that sort of jealousy mixed in with the new way of doing things that requires a certain kind of labor. And then you have us who are kind of just, you know, for the most part, not all the way. We have protests. We have protests in Ferguson. We have them in New York. But too many of us are just kind of sitting back and watching this happen because you say, you know what, I have a house. I have an Escalade, and that's good enough for me. And then you send your child down to the local playground, and they are murdered by police. And you still have your house and your Escalade. Mm-hmm. I, I, hate, I hate to be such a downer, but I just don't think that as a people we have an end game. We get defensive. You've got Creflo Dollar, who should not never have had ten minutes of our time over the last twenty-five years who's asking black people to buy him a $65 million private jet. You have reports which say 
that people are leaving religion and faith institutions because they have no trust in them. But that's not black people. You all don't read that report wrong. That is not black people. Black people are entrenching themselves in anything that they can find to hide out in. The the other thing that we we haven't talked about is the whole nature of the absence of a plan to deal with how our children and how our elders are experiencing all of this. We don't have a plan of any kind, actually. No. You were speaking of an end game. Yeah, we don't have a plan. You have to have a plan to have an end game. Exactly. We we simply have failed to not to 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 cast off the distractions and protect our children, protect our elderly people. We still have black people, black men and black women, whose mortality rate is less than all the white people in this country. We still have people who are sitting out here in our audience, in in this audience tonight, who have got to be completely depressed about the things that they are reading about, just what our Congress people are saying about black people. I, for the life of me... For the life of me, figure out how people from Iowa and Utah and Montana and what's that other, North Dakota and South Dakota, South Carolina, have just taken hold, North Carolina, have just taken hold of the whole public discourse around the criminalization of blackness in this country. And for those of you who get get, get a chance tonight after this broadcast or Tomorrow, uh, Reverend Otis Moss of Trinity United in Chicago has done a wonderful lecture on the criminalization of blackness. And you might want to take a look at that. It's on Facebook, I mean, it's on YouTube and, and Facebook. All of this, all of these things that we have, Yvette, where we can engage with each other. You know, I I did a test the other day on Blog Talk Radio, and I was looking to see if there were shows about black people in Boston, black people in Chicago. This this Blog Talk Radio, I mean, some of it's free. I can't imagine why black people in those communities are not talking to each other, organizing in a way, because the Internet... It really is a universe. <laughs> Are they not talking on Facebook or Twitter or something? <laughs> Excuse me. So, uh, Yvette, I don't know how you begin. We've got to plan for the exit of Barack Obama. Planning. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm sure he has a nice plan set up. Martha's Vineyard and everything. I'm sure there's a plan. Well, we're we're not gonna. T- I, I just, you know, more power to him. But, the, I, I mean, 
here the onslaught of Barack Obama is an onslaught of us. He simply was a symbol to unleash what we are seeing in this country in terms of what we understand and what we know about white supremacy and racism in this country. And some of us are getting the message late. And I don't know how you send out the memo to that many people. Oh, it's, I, mean, I think you're being—I think you're being generous in your um, in your analysis in terms of getting the message late. I, I, I think I think there are a good many who are not getting the message at all, and who, even throughout even throughout these years, first term, second term, still do not have the message. And if you ask them, they will still say Barack Obama couldn't get anything done because the Republicans are evil. And nobody's saying that the Republicans are anyone that we should be beholden to or have any faith in. But the truth of the matter is that Obama was not only indifferent towards black people, but in, in, in so many circumstances, he was he actively, you know, he actively was 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 in opposition to what we to, to our best interest. So, you know, when you look at when you look at the fact, and I, and I keep pointing people back to just Wall Street because it's such a glaring example of these. These Wall Street types who basically ran a ran a con game. They they packaged up these de, these derivatives, you know, and made them out of subprime mortgages and conned people with them, and sold them all across the globe. Crashed the global economy, you know, stripped black people of generational wealth, and nobody went to jail. Even when you look at Ferguson, you look at what they did. You look at how they stripped black people of their rights, you know, in that in that in that in that city, and nobody, you know. Nobody's going to get locked up. In all of these instances, where where you, you'll have the Justice Department write a report about it, sure enough, you you you'll have the Justice Department did a did a did a report about about Wall Street, and and those acts were criminal acts, and nobody went to jail. Doing conning black people and killing black people does not result in criminal punishment for the most part. So, you know. This is what I look at, and, I, and when I see people not looking at that and just saying to themselves, I see, a, I see a group of people who need a political education, first of all, and I don't know how to give that political education to, to, to these many people. Well, see, I've, I've had an answer. I, have, I haven't had an answer. There are some people, um, as my mother says, some people are just going to have to be left behind. My mother used to say that all the time. But one of the things that we need to start doing is we really need to start concentrating at the local level. Your children don't learn, don't get civics lessons in school, good, because it would be bad civic lessons. Then you ought to have a civics academy in your community for black children at your black community, um, uh, community center. That's one of the simple things to do. You know, one of the things that I said about Barack Obama's speech in Selma last weekend, it is going to be one of the speeches of history. Our children need to be learning verbatim, as they used to say, by heart the speeches of W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass, Malcolm X, something besides I have a dream. And there is no reason why word can't, words can't become life for our children 
in an oratory and debate academy in our communities. That's not something that we should leave to public schools. We should not be leaving our children in detention centers and juvenile centers in our communities without providing books, without providing some as volunteers some kind of uh, outreach program to them. And and you and I know, you all can, I know some of y'all and get ready to throw your glass at, at, the, at the computer when I say this, um, but you all know we are not doing that. We are not involving and engaging ourselves in reentry programs. These are programs that are our responsibilities and our obligations to build our own communities because eventually – all you people, as Yvette said, with the Escalades in your house, you have to come home. It's homecoming time. On these HBCUs, no one should be able to convince us that they are not of not only historical value, but they are of value today. And community colleges are not going to give black students what HBCUs will give them, and I'm a living example. I went to Ivy League schools all my life, but I went to summer school at Howard and Hampton for that experience, and it is invaluable. We have to build our own community. That is as clear as that. And we have to build it where we eat, where we live, and where we work. You know, You're while exactly all these right. people, nobody's going to do it for us. All these white people, all these good white people, are running around saying, "Oh, it's just a shame about how these races are running around and saying all kinds of things." That's the time to say, "Okay, let's." Do something at the place that I work. Let's sponsor a high school. Let's get black kids in here who can do internship work. Uh, let's get let's look at our local colleges to see if we can't get them with in partnership with your employer some program for uh, people who are re-entering from prison into our communities. But we like to talk about the glamour stuff. We want the glitz. That's why people will pay for serious radio. But if I ask you all to pay me a dollar every Saturday, <laughs> I would be I would be eating bread and water uh, for the rest of my life. <laughs> but but Yvette, those are the things that we've got to. Advance, and my criticism of this one of my criticisms of this Obama administration is that he doesn't he has not put people in place in the White House who could think what you're doing is is worthless, and what you need to do is to begin to help people at the local level empower their and and rebuild their communities, and safeguard their children. 
I mean, I get a little annoyed that the the mainstream media keeps talking about the talk. Shut the hell up. Black people have been talking to their kids about this kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I grew up in Jim Crow, and my parents were talking to me about how to protect myself when I went into department stores, when I was in the in the in the larger community, um, you had to learn those things. But we're not teaching our children uh, th- those things because we still are oppressed and chained by our own shame. We still have a shame problem. That's true. I I tell you, but you know what? Um, I I I know I'm I. I I depress my audience. What <laughs> one Saturday that I tried to tell jokes. Well, you know, I'm I I missed the 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 line. I'll leave I'll leave the jokes to Alpha on the Alpha show on Friday nights. But and then one time I was trying to play uh, little jingles and stuff to bring us up because we used to call this alternative empowerment activist talk radio. And I stopped saying that because it had become, uh, as we moved into this era, it had become kind of like a platitude. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to end, uh, I, I try to end a talk with people about what people really are paying attention to you. Have you watched Empire? <laughs> I have not. I have not. I I I I don't watch. I don't get. I don't watch much TV. I I deliberately avoid a lot of a most ninety nine point nine percent of television is avoided by me. If it's not, if if I can't see it on Netflix or something, it's not going to get seen. Oh, okay. So you're you're <laughs> into, um, but but you know I've been trying to catch up because so many people have been talking about it. And if that's the best that we have to offer, if Scandal and what's the other show, something about um, the last murder or how do you, oh, how to get away with murder, if that's the best that we have to offer to our children, you know, and and I have my. Uh, I do want to say happy birthday to Imani, who is my 22-year-old granddaughter, who is probably out with, as she says, her girls uh, tonight celebrating her birthday. Happy birthday to her! Um, they have taken on a hotel uh, for the weekend, uh, granted by their parents, and. I sent my little bit and edibles. I'm wondering. <laughs> her mother said, "Oh, I sent her a bouquet of edibles." I said, "Yeah, they'll they'll eat that in the morning for breakfast." But um, they watch Empire. They watch Scandal. They watch Murder She Wrote or whatever the murder thing is. <laughs> and people are really talking about this stuff. I'm trying to catch up on it. I'm I'm really trying to 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 broaden my horizon 
culturally and be able to have conversation about this stuff. I'm I'm probably the only person on the planet that never saw Seinfeld. I have no idea what that was about. But when we I did watch two episodes of Empire. And there's okay. some elements in there that could work if we I was thinking about doing a radio show uh, episode where we change the 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 script. You know, what should have been but uh, I I I think that people get distracted by that. That that's easier to talk about than to talk about how our children are experiencing school with bad teachers, teachers that despise them. Because if you think police despise black people, then you got to think about how preachers and teachers and community workers, social workers, um, doctors, nurses also despise black people. And I, I think it's easier to worry about what Cookie's doing. Cookie is a character on Empire. Then she served 17 years for her husband's crime or something. I think that's how it goes. But she's played by this woman that's kind of um, very. Um, somebody in the chat room, please tell me the lady's name. <laughs> No, you talking about it was Paraji. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever her name is. But I, I think it's so much easier. And what we do is we try to assage the onslaught with this stuff. And it's so very, very uh, disturbing because it also empowers the dysfunction that's going on in our community. And so it's easier to have this black Camelot thing going on in your head uh, with the Obamas and and to see Howard, Terrence Howard being a mogul with lots of money and million dollars of money from rap music or or something with his dysfunctional family and say, you know, this makes me feel better than our common ground. So you, you really let me down, Yvette, because you haven't seen this stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it sounds like I have seen it and I don't understand. <laughs> but we've got to do more of this. And I have really uh, enjoyed and I am really grateful for the work that you do at BreakingBrown.com. And I hope people will go there. Uh, and subscribe. We're losing some great voices. I got the news today that the Norman Goldman Show, which I have a lot of respect for, he does outstanding analysis, very uh, aggressive on looking at, at at the issues before us, and it sounds like his show is about to go down on terrestrial radio. He only had one terrestrial radio that he was broadcasting, and 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 he has a subscription program very much like you have, and that is ten dollars a month to get 
the kind of reporting, the kind of analysis, the kind of clarity that we need. And it really does say that we respect our own voice. We respect our own experience. And that's what BreakingBrown.com and Your Black World does. So, Yvette, thank you so very much for for joining us tonight. Um, and, you know, keep thinking about what this plan for the end game is all about. I, I, I really think that we've got to push our people to understanding how serious all all of this is because you think that in your 40-some years you uh, see the backtrack. Imagine what I see. Absolutely. Those of us who, who, those of, those of us who are beyond that time. So I, I look forward. We're going to have to have you a lot more. Um, and um, on this program, um, and and one of the things that I do want to do is to uh, and for those of you who are listening, share uh, BreakingBrown.com's work on your Facebook page, on your Twitter thing, uh, on your Tumblr, and all of that stuff. Yvette, thank you so very much, and thanks to to you for all that you do for the work that you, for the fine work that you do. Thank you. I appreciate. I appreciate. As always, it's always wonderful to be on here. You are, you are so talented, but you're hilarious as well. So it's always, it's always a treat to come on here and talk to you. <laughs> well, I'm not always this hilarious, but you know, when I've got when I've got a good sister talk to 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 talk to. I I I think that I could do it. Sometimes I lose I lose my way, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I think you were very much on point tonight, and you 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 hit you hit all the points, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you so very much for being with us, uh, Yvette Carnell. And if you would like to continuing the tradition of Black intellectual thought at BreakingBrown dot com. It's BreakingBrown.com, and please do support her in the work that she does. Uh, Also, don't forget that uh, at Common Ground, we support anyone who is doing good work, Uh, and we we, we really do uh, appreciate the, the fine work that she's doing. If uh, Big Wes is out there, Big Wes, I posted on our Facebook page something that you are have been talking about uh, for a long, long time, um, and those smart meters. Um, and I found a, an article which says that uh, PG&E suggested Prozac for those injured by smart meters SCE schemed higher fees to force smart meters on the on the on the poor, uh, and you are so have been so right about it. The former pre, uh, CPUC president Michael Peavy, who retired in December and is currently the subject of a criminal probe by the U.S. Attorney and State Attorney General are investigating allegations of bribery and corruption in regard to the smart 
meters in poor neighborhoods. You have been talking to us about that for a very long time, and I want to bring it to your attention. Thank you to all of our chatters in our chat room. Uh, and don't forget, India Declare at 9 p.m. on Tuesdays at Blog Talk Radio, the I Declare show. And Alpha, um, TruthWorks Network, the Alpha show, it is Advanced Progressive Urban Political Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Well, we can't take a quick break because we've only got a few minutes, but we do appreciate all of you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. I really have been thinking that we have got to be a great deal more vigilant around around our resistance to all of these things. We just can't say that, hey, you know, this is what's happening and it happened and and so what. Um, We just can't say that. We just can't throw our hands up in the air as though we just don't care. And and got to decide. Okay, here it is. Here it is. We've got to decide if black lives matter. And if black lives matter, we've got to put a plan together. We have got to have an economic plan, an education plan, a community building plan. We've got to have a public policy plan and we've got to have a plan about how we fight back what it, what is the most accurate strategic way of moving all the barriers that have been put in our place because if we don't our children will suffer now those of you who have children You might say, uh, well, you know, I don't have children, blah, blah, blah. Every child is a child that belongs to all of us. Thank you for being with us, and we'll see you right here next Saturday night at Our Common Ground. Don't be afraid to look at your patterns and your pathologies, no matter how old you are, because we've got to make way for the next generation. Some of the stuff that we suffer through, suffer with, suffer in, we need to eliminate it. You can be the one to heal it. You can be the one to lift it up. You can be the one to clear it. You understand? You can be the one. Uh, And it doesn't require anything of you that you don't already have. Thank you for being with us at Our Common Ground. We need and require your support to be brave, bold, and black. I'm Janice Graham. Each Saturday... 10 p.m. I'll be listening for you. I'm letting you know that it ain't no gun they make that can kill my soul. Oh no. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is take the chains off. All we want to do is be free. 
Thank mm-hmm. you.